Church family, I invite you to open up in your copy of God's Word to the book of Matthew. Matthew. Matthew chapter 27 is where we will be today. We're going to read verses 62, uh, verse 62 through chapter 28, verse 10. Give you just a second to find that in your Bible. And then if you will and you're able uh, to, I'm going to invite you to stand as we read from God's Word. I'm going to read and you follow along in your Bibles. This is what the text says. The next day... That is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He is risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of God for his church today. You may be seated. The title of our message today is In His Rising. Church family, I... The, the simplest way I, can, I know to summarize what Jesus did is to say this. He lived, he died, and he rose from the dead. And in his living, and in his dying, and in his rising, he accomplished certain things. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we examined the life of Jesus. We looked at Matthew chapter uh, 20, uh, 4, verses 23 through 25, a summary there that Matthew gives the life of Jesus. And, and there we learn that through his living, Jesus revealed God's kingdom so that we will believe in him. Now, last week, we examined the death of Jesus from the perspective of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying on the night of his arrest which would be followed by his crucifixion the following day. And there in the garden, we learn that through his dying, Jesus revealed God's plan of salvation for all who will believe in him. Through his death, Jesus obeyed the Father's will, endured the Father's wrath, and ultimately fulfilled the Father's plan, the plan of salvation for sinners. Now today, I want us to examine the resurrection of Jesus and ask this question, what did Jesus accomplish in his rising? 
He accomplished certain things in his living. He accomplished certain things in his dying. What about in his rising? Now, there's a whole lot of ways that we could answer this question because there are a whole lot of passages about the resurrection of Jesus in his word. And there are so many implications for the resurrection in our lives. Now, one way we could answer this question is this. Through his resurrection, church, through his resurrection, Jesus revealed God's eternal purpose for all who believe in him. Through his resurrection, Jesus revealed God's eternal purpose for all who believe in him. Today, as we examine Matthew's account of Jesus' resurrection, really beginning with the events that took place the day before his resurrection, I believe we'll see God's eternal purpose for his people. That is, those who believe in Jesus unfold before our eyes. But first, we've got to go back to the beginning. When I say the beginning, I mean the beginning of God creating this world. When God created the world, he created humans to worship him. He created us to be worshipers of God. God's purpose for humanity is that we would worship him and worship him alone with all of our being forever and ever. But unfortunately, unfortunately, humans traded in a fulfilled and satisfied life of doing what our creator created us to do, that is worshiping God. We have traded that in for an unfulfilled life where we worship things other than the one true God. We commit idolatry in all sorts of ways. We offer our affection and adoration to people and things that are not worthy of our worship. Because only God is worthy of our worship. And what happens is that leaves us empty and broken and longing for something more. Perhaps even today you feel that way. Perhaps you feel empty or broken or longing for something more. Saying there's got to be more then this life around me seems to be offering. I want you to know today that there is hope for you. There's hope for me because of Jesus. There's hope, church, because of Jesus. Through Jesus, God has made a way for us to fulfill His original purpose for us, and we can fulfill that original purpose for all of eternity. Through Jesus' death, God provided a sacrifice to take away our sin. And through the resurrection of Jesus, God provided us with a hope of everlasting life with him. And I pray today that you'll see that because Jesus rose from the dead, everyone who believes in him can live out God's eternal purpose for their lives. That is a life of everlasting, joyful, satisfying, fulfilling worship of the one true God. I want to share with you how Jesus' resurrection reveals God's eternal purpose for our lives by pointing out four, uh, four things that Jesus proved by rising from the dead. I want to share with you these four things that Jesus proved. Now, there's other things that we could say. I'm just sharing with you four things this morning that I think we see here in this text. The first is this. In his rising, Jesus proved his identity as God. Through his rising, Jesus proved his identity as God. Throughout his years of ministry, Jesus made the claim numerous times and in numerous ways that he was God. Yes, Jesus was humble. Yes, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Yes, Jesus called God his Father, submitting to his Father. Yes, Jesus submitted to his Father's will. He was obedient to his Father. We saw that last week on full display in the Garden of Gethsemane. But make no mistake, though Jesus was humble, And though he submitted to his father's will, Jesus 
clearly staked his identity upon the truth that he was God. Fully equal in every way to God. Consider his words. Jesus said things like this. Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Harkening back to Moses on the mountain at the burning bush when he says, what's your name, God? And God says, tell them, I am has sent you. My name is I am. And here is Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said things like, I and the Father are one. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. How could he say that unless he is God? He said, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And many other things like that. And we know he was claiming to be God when he made those statements because the Jewish religious leaders tried to stone him more than once for saying such things. Why would they do that? It's because they, they thought he was committing blasphemy. They said he's claiming to be God and he's not. Of course, they were wrong. Not in that he was claiming to be God. He was. But they were wrong in that he was not God because he was God. He claimed to be God and he truly was. He also identified himself as God by allowing people to worship him. He didn't stop people when they worshipped him. He, he identified himself as God by saying that he had the authority to forgive sins. He claimed to be God by performing miraculous works. He claimed to be God by predicting his own death and resurrection. Who is able to do that? Either you're crazy if you predict your own death and resurrection, or you're God. It's one or the other. He said of his life, Jesus said, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. That is a claim of divinity. And it was his prediction of his own resurrection which had the religious leaders worried. They thought it bad enough that people had believed Jesus' claims of divinity before he died. But they thought it would be even worse if the disciples came and stole his body and said that he had risen from the dead, which would make people even more convinced obviously, that Jesus was fully God. Because if you rise from the dead, probably are God. And so Matthew gives us some information regarding the Jewish religious leaders' attempt to eliminate the possibility of any rumor that Jesus had risen from the dead. What are they trying to do? Really, they're trying to eliminate the, the, uh, any reason to believe that Jesus was God. They want to they stomp that out. And they're going to do this by ensuring that that body remains in the grave. As long as that body remains in the grave, Jesus is proved to be a fraud. But if that body gets out of that grave walking out, then Jesus proves that everything he said was absolutely true. The text says, we just read, it says, The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember what that imposter said. They're thinking about the words that Jesus said. They were paying attention to what he said. They didn't believe what he said, but they paid attention to what he said. They said, we, we remember how that imposter, that, that fake, that pretender said, while he was still alive, after three days, I'm going to rise. We remember that he said that. And now, this is what he, he tells Father. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Now, they don't, they don't really think that Jesus is actually going to rise from the dead, but what they don't want is the disciples to sneak in, steal the body, and start a rumor that Jesus rose from the dead. So make it secure. Unless the disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Now they'll have a bunch of people running around saying, Jesus rose from the dead, and they don't want that. In other words, the chief priests and the Pharisees who were behind the crucifixion of Jesus wanted to make sure that that body stayed in the grave, no rumor 
came up that Jesus had risen. But as we see in this passage, man, they had far more to worry about than a rumor that Jesus rose from the dead because Jesus was actually going to rise from the dead. They weren't going to have a rumor on their hands to deal with. They were going to have a resurrected Lord on their hands to deal with. The same ones who on Saturday were trying to prevent the disciples from stealing the body and spreading a rumor that he rose found themselves on Sunday, if you read ahead past what we read a few minutes ago, they found themselves on Sunday paying off Roman soldiers to start a rumor that the disciples broke in and stole his body. That's the only way they could think to deal with the fact that now there's an empty tomb. I just, I just laugh. I say, ha, huh. right? So much for their plan. So much. Who's in control in this moment? Who's in control? Who has the upper end? Who's calling the shots? Whose will is being accomplished? But it's not the ones who called Jesus an imposter, that's for sure. But it was the one who they thought was an imposter. That's who is in control throughout all of this. Jesus actually proving himself to be exactly who he claimed to be, God. They believed Jesus was a fake. They thought Jesus was an imposter. They said he was just a pretender. And they would have been exactly right if that tomb would have remained sealed, never opened up, and Jesus had remained dead because only God could have walked out of that grave. If Jesus didn't walk out of that grave, then he would have been the greatest imposter of all time. And how foolish would we be here today Celebrating Jesus, a man who is dead in the grave, lying about his resurrection. The church. There's an empty tomb that says he lives. We have the written word of God that says that he lives. We have 2,000 years of church history that says Jesus rose up from the dead. He did walk out of that grave. Folks, Jesus wasn't posing as God. Jesus was and is, always has been, and will forever be God. He is Lord, He is King of heaven and earth, and He is worthy of our devotion, our love, our worship, and obedience. Jesus proved that He truly was Emmanuel, God with us. In His rising, Jesus proved His identity as God. The second thing that Jesus proved is this. In his rising, Jesus proved his power over death. Jesus proved his power over death. His divinity, that is his being God, and his defeat of death, they go hand in hand. Because Jesus was God, he was able to do what only God could do, and that is conquer death. No human being has ever been able to do that. I don't care how strong, I don't care how powerful, how mighty, how popular. No human being has been able to defeat death, has been able to escape death, except for Jesus Christ, because he's God. He's God. I want to read uh, from verse 65 of chapter 27 through verse 6 of chapter 28 without stopping. Sometimes the chapter divisions in our Bible, they can keep us from seeing the connections. We read like, say, oh, I'm reading a chapter a day, so I'll end chapter 27, and then the next day I'll read chapter 28, and I've kind of already forgotten how chapter 27 ended. I want you to see the connection and, and appreciate what's actually happening. I want you to notice that all the chief priests and the Pharisees did to shut up the message of Jesus and the work of Jesus. But you notice all they went to 
And then how in an instant Jesus undoes everything that they were trying to do. Pilate said to them, verse 65, Pilate said to them, you've got a guard of soldiers. Here you go. He gives them a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. Ha ha, right? And set on it. It's supposed to be sealed. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. What? They were supposed to be protecting that tomb. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. You see what happens? The religious leaders requested Pilate to order the tomb to be made secure. Then Pilate gives them a guard of soldiers and says, Go, make it as secure as you can. Make it as secure as you can. And it says, so they went and they made the tomb secure. And, and, and when they walked away and they, they, they dusted their hands off and they had finished their work, they were thinking, no way anyone is getting into that tomb. The problem was it wasn't, it wasn't somebody trying to get in the tomb they needed to worry about. It was somebody getting out of the tomb that they needed to worry about. They set a guard of Roman soldiers. This wasn't just some ragtag group of folks they drug off the streets and said stand here and fight anybody that tries to get in these were trained roman soldiers from a human perspective this tomb was the securest tomb probably this ever existed here was their goal secure the tomb their game plan to accomplish their goal seal the tomb and set a guard and praise god they failed (laughs) praise god they failed at accomplishing their goal But can we just look beyond the surface level of what can be seen with our physical eyes for just a moment this morning? Can we look behind the the chief priests and the Pharisees and Pilate and soldiers? Yes, we see those, but who's behind this work of evil? It is evil to try to seal the Son of God in a grave. It is evil to call Jesus an imposter and do everything you can to make sure people believe He's a fake instead of believing that He's the real deal. That's evil. Who is behind evil? The one who has been working evil on earth since he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. Friends, we don't just have some people trying to secure the tomb by sealing the stone and setting the guard. We have Satan whose goal since the Garden of Eden has been to prevent God's promised Messiah from destroying him and his works. Satan probably thought that he had stomped out the Messiah when Herod ordered all the male children to be killed after Jesus was born. But God countered by revealing to Joseph in a dream that he needed to flee to Egypt with his family. About 30 years later, Satan probably thought he had stomped out the Messiah when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. But Jesus countered by resisting every single temptation. And Satan might have thought that he had stomped out the Messiah when Jesus' body was laid in the tomb and the stone was sealed and the guard was set for church. Jesus already had his counter move planned out. I just picture maybe Satan gathering his demons in a huddle and saying, we got this, boys. Jesus is dead. They put him in a tomb. Now finish strong. Let's seal the stone and set the guard and we will have secured the victory. Ready, break. And they run off to accomplish their goal by fulfilling their game plan. And then the stone 
is sealed and the guard is set. The game plan seems to be working, except that it wasn't. At least not how Satan wanted it to. On Saturday morning, the stone was sealed and the guard was set. But church, on Sunday morning, those faithful women showed up at the tomb to find that Satan had lost. That seal stone had been broken loose and that set guard had been broken down and that secured tomb had broken the power of death as the risen Lord walked out, having defeated Satan and sin and death. Church family, friends, Satan tried to secure our eternal death, but actually Jesus secured our eternal life. That is the hope that we have today. The angel said, he is not here. He has risen. Satan thought he was sealing the Son of God in a tomb, but Jesus was busy sealing our salvation. Satan thought he was setting a guard, but Jesus was just setting the stage for Satan to be destroyed, death to be conquered, and the dead in Christ to rise one day to live forever with our resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the Gospel. Satan can secure, seal, and set all he wanted, but he could not stop the resurrection power of Jesus. Friends, we are sinners. We deserve eternal death. That is what we rightly deserve. But Jesus saves. He came. He died. And He rose from the dead. He went to battle for you and for me. He paid the price of sin for you and for me. He defeated Satan for you and for me. He conquered death, our greatest enemy, for you and for me. The grave had no power over Jesus. And I want you to know that the grave has no power over all who believe in Jesus, the resurrected Lord. About 20 years after Jesus rose, the Apostle Paul would write to the church at Corinth. He would write these beautiful words. When the perishable, he's talking about our human bodies that are frail and broken down and and perish. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death. Where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, because Jesus died and rose, you can be forgiven of your sin. You can be forgiven of the very thing that would separate you from God for all of eternity. God will wash you clean from that sin and in place He will clothe you with the righteousness of Christ. You'll have everlasting life if you'll believe in Him. Jesus proved His identity as God and Jesus proved His power over death. Now these last two things that Jesus proved through His rising reveal the response that we ought to have to His resurrection. Listen, it's one thing, it's one thing for us to know information about Jesus coming and dying and rising, but we must respond. This news demands a response. A dead man of his own power getting up out of the grave demands a response from us. And that response is that we should trust him 
and we should worship him. We should trust him and we should worship him. The third thing Jesus proved is this. In his rising, Jesus proved his word can be trusted. His word can be trusted. Notice what the angel said in verse 6. These are actually some of my favorite words in the resurrection passage. You've probably heard me say that before. I love this phrase. The angel said, he is not here for he has risen. Here's the phrase I love. As he said. As he said. Come see the place where he lay. He's not here. He is risen. As he said. They could have stopped right there. But I think he's reminding them. Jesus said he was going to do this. He said he was going to do this. Remember the reason the chief priests and the Pharisees wanted the tomb secured is because Jesus had predicted his own resurrection. They remembered it. They didn't believe, but they remembered. Now the angel is reminding these women that while the empty tomb may appear as a shock, they shouldn't really be surprised. Because Jesus said this is exactly what would happen. And Jesus is just doing what God always does. He always, always, always keeps his word. His word never fails. Jesus said he was going to rise, and that's exactly what he did. One of the things the resurrection of Jesus should do is lead us to trust Jesus. Church, the difference between heaven being our eternal destination or hell being our eternal destination is whether or not we trust Jesus, whether or not we take him at his word. Hear what Jesus said. John 3.15, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him never perish, but have everlasting life. John 5.24, Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus said, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John 6.40, Jesus said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. John chapter 8, verse 24, Jesus said this, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. What does that imply? (laughs) That if we do believe that Jesus is the Messiah, we will not die in our sins. We will be rescued from our sins. Now I could just keep reading verse after verse of Jesus saying that we must believe in Him if we are going to be saved from our sin and have everlasting life. Just that's the only way. That's the only way that we can be saved is by trusting in Christ alone. The question is, do you take Jesus at His word? Do you take Him at His word? Do you trust that sin is real? That God's wrath towards sin is real? That everyone who dies without believing in Jesus for salvation will die in their sin and be punished in hell forever? Do you take Jesus at His word that He said that God sent Him to rescue us from our sin? Do you take Him at His word that Jesus gave His life on the cross as a substitute sacrifice for our sin? That Jesus rose up from the dead and that Jesus is coming back one day to gather to Himself all who have believed in Him and take them to live with Him for all eternity? Have you believed in Christ for salvation? Do you trust Jesus' words that you must believe in Him? 
He said he would rise from the dead, and that's exactly what he did. Jesus always, always keeps his word. So you must trust him. You must trust him. In his rising, Jesus proved his identity as God, his power over death. He proved his word can be trusted. And fourth and finally, in his rising church, Jesus proved his worthiness to be worshipped. Jesus proved his worthiness to be worshipped. Start thinking back to how we started the sermon. Eternal purpose What's God's purpose for us? What did He create us to do? To worship Him, we trade in the fulfilling, satisfying, joy, joyful worship of God for worshiping the things of creation. And yet, as Jesus rises from the dead, He proves His worthiness to be worshipped. Church family, friends, everyone who can hear me today, we have failed to respond appropriately to the resurrection of Jesus if we do not trust Him and worship Him with all of our being. Notice what the text says. The angel continues in verse 7. The angel says, Then go quickly and tell His disciples that He has risen from the dead. And behold, He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him. See, I have told you. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up. And what did they do? They took hold of his feet. And they worshipped him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine just a few days earlier, they saw his feet nailed to a cross. And now they're holding on to these nail-pierced feet of this risen Lord. And what are they doing? They're worshiping. They're worshiping Him. What does it mean to worship? What does that mean? It means they were ascribing to Him ultimate worth. In that moment, they were saying, Jesus is worth more than anyone or anything else in all of the universe that's what worship is they were saying whether verbally or in their hearts that jesus was worthy of ultimate praise and honor that jesus was worthy of all their attention and affection and devotion that jesus was worthy of all their time and talents and resources and abilities that jesus was worthy of every breath that they breathed of every thought of every choice of every word of every action that jesus was worthy of all of this there was no one greater than Him, no one more powerful than Him, that Jesus alone was worthy to be worshipped. Jesus had proved His identity as God. And that's why it was okay that they fell at His feet and worshipped. They weren't committing idolatry in that moment. They were worshipping the one true God. Jesus had proved His identity as God. He had proved His power over death. He had proved His Word could always be trusted. And thus, He had proved His worthiness to be worshipped. The servant who humbled himself to the grave was now the King who had risen as Lord of heaven and earth. Listen to Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2. And being found in human form, He, speaking of Jesus, humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
The women worshipped Jesus on that resurrection Sunday. If you skip ahead just a few verses to verse 17, you'll find the disciples worshipping Jesus. And if you skip ahead to John's vision of heaven in the book of Revelation, you'll hear the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And if you keep listening a little longer, you'll hear every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And if you keep looking and you keep listening, you'll see a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You will see and you will hear an eternal worship of Jesus. Why? Why all of that glory to this man called Jesus? Because He is God. Because He has conquered death. And He has kept His Word to bring salvation to everyone who believes in Him. He is the resurrected Lord of heaven and earth. He is deserving of our trust. He is worthy of our worship. And I wonder today, are you a worshiper of Jesus? I wonder today if you believe Jesus is God and that He died on the cross for your sins. I wonder today if you believe that He conquered death by rising from the grave. And I wonder today if you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Friends, that's the only way to enjoy God's eternal purpose for your life. It is to believe in Christ. You see, because Jesus died for our sins and rose again, everyone who believes in Him is forgiven of their sin, is given a new heart which desires to worship Him and which can worship Him. We're not dead in our sins anymore. We're not enslaved to our sins anymore. We have been set free to do what God created us to do, and that is to offer all of our worship to Jesus every moment of every day from now for all eternity. God's eternal purpose for believers is that Jesus uh, is that in Jesus is that we would live forever as worshipers of the divine King in whom we trusted for everlasting life. God's eternal purpose for you and for me, the only way that you can be fulfilled, the only way that you can be satisfied is if you live to worship Christ. And we can. We can worship Jesus because of what He's done. By trusting in Him because He's defeated death we can worship Him forever and ever and ever. If you're here today and you know that you're a sinner, but you've never been saved from your sin, please listen very closely. Here's what you need to do. You need to turn from your sin. You need to confess to God that you are a sinner. He already knows you are. You just need to tell Him that you agree with Him. I agree, God, that I am a sinner and I am not worthy of heaven. I'm not worthy of Jesus. I'm not worthy of being a worshiper of you, God. And then you need to thank Him that He sent His only Son to die for your sin and to rise from the grave conquering death for you. And then you need to ask Him to forgive you, not because you deserve it, but because you trust 
in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. If you're lost in your sin today, I plead with you. Trust in Christ. It is your only hope. And what a great hope it is. But it is only ours if we receive it by turning from our sin and turning in faith to Jesus Christ. And if you'll trust in Jesus for salvation today, then I can guarantee this. You know why I can guarantee it? Because Jesus said it. Because I'm just taking Jesus at His word. If you'll trust in Jesus for salvation, then you will get the privilege of worshiping Jesus both now in your life and for all of eternity. You will get to live for Him now and you'll get to rise one day like Jesus rose to live forever for His glory. He will fill your emptiness with Himself. He will heal your brokenness with Himself. And He will satisfy your longings with Himself. And there is nothing this world has to offer that can compare to Him. Because Jesus has defeated death. Because Jesus conquered the uh, consequence of our sin. That is conquering death. Then we can enjoy God's eternal purpose for our lives. But only if we trust in Him. Now maybe you say, Zach, I have trusted in Him. I came in today thankful that Jesus died and rose from the grave. That that my sins have been forgiven. Then let me just ask you a question. Are you grabbing hold of the feet of Jesus and worshiping Him in every area of your life? He is worthy of it all. Every thought, every word, every action. Of all of who you are. He is worthy of us all. Are we worshiping the resurrected Lord? Just a minute. We're going to worship by lifting our voices in song to Him. And that's something He has commanded of us. And He is honored when we do that. That is one of the ways we worship Him. But that is not the only way. He wants us to go out from this place worshiping Him every moment of every day in every area of our lives. Church, He rose up from the dead. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of it all. And so may we all grab hold of the feet of Jesus with complete trust in Him. And church, may we worship Him today, tomorrow, the rest of our lives here on this earth, and then for all of eternity with our resurrected Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just ask that in this moment, if there's someone who has never trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, God, I pray that right now, if they haven't already in this service, that right now they would confess their sin to You. God, that they would thank You for sending Jesus to die on the cross for their sins and rise up from the grave. And God, they would ask You, not because they're worthy or deserving of it, but because Jesus has paid it all, God, they would ask You to save them from their sin as they trust in Jesus Christ alone. God, I pray for salvation in this place today. God, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, God, we... We, we just want to say once again, thank You. Thank You. God, help us never to, never to grow cold to the truth that You loved us enough that You sent Your Son to die in our place and that You defeated sin and Satan and death for us and You have given us a free gift of salvation. And God, You are worthy of our lives. 
God, may we worship Jesus with every bit of who we are. God, with our time and with our resources, with our talents, our abilities. God, with, with our families and our jobs and our friends. And, and God, the, the, the places and spheres of influence that you've given us as we shine the light of Christ, as we let people see that we worship Jesus and Jesus alone. God, forgive us, even as Christians, of not giving to Jesus the praise and glory and honor with our lives that He is worthy of. God, may we worship Jesus. And God, we can pray with confidence this prayer. God, we look forward to worshiping Jesus, not just now, but forever and ever and ever. Because Jesus rose, we rise one day. And so God, for all who have trusted in Christ, we just say thank you. May you be honored. May you be glorified. And it is in the name of Jesus, our resurrected Lord, King of heaven and earth, that we pray. Amen.